there are 39 milahot which constitute forms of work forbidden on the Sabbath. It's the why behind the way we do the things we do. Join Rabbi Musha Schnurb now for Hilchos Shabbos, only on 101.9 High FM. This is Soul to Soul on your radio. Erev, Shabbos, Kodesh, Pashas, Boi, Tov, Shin, Pei, Dale. And a very, very warm welcome to all of our radio family. Thank you so, so much for taking the time on a very busy Friday afternoon to open your hearts, open your devices, and allow yourself to hear some Torah. Hear something, hopefully, that will inspire you. Hear, Hear something that will hopefully that you can bring with you to your Shabbos table and inspire your family or maybe have a point of discussion or whatever it is. It, it's Torah there that's not just academic. It's Torah that's meant to be learned and imbibed and used to change our lives. Hi, this is Rabbi Moshe Schnurb here again. Baruch Hashem, we have the schus to spend time together and let's get right into it. So Moshe Abenu at one point finally gets frustrated with with the uh, uh, paro and walks out of him, walks out of there by Yetzim in Parah He leaves Paros in his presence in a burning, burning anger. Before, of course, we go further, let us mention that today's show is being sponsored. The Rufur Shalema for God ben Felicity, Yosef Yitzchak ben Bela, Zalman Yitzchak ben Fege Rivka, Yerachemiel ben Etta, Menachem David ben Miriam, and Avram Ben Golda, Metakum and the Schus of Atera and the Schus of Kaiso, the Trillis, the Torah that we all learn together. May that be a huge, huge Schus of Fushlema, the core of Mamish, for, for these Chaylam, the Seich Shor Chodeshol, amongst all the other the Yidden. So Moshe Abeno finally became angry with Paro, whose irrational, <laughs> egotistical uh, uh, stubbornness was uh, endangering. His entire country. Paro was playing games with Moshe. First, no. Then, yes. Well then, who's going to go? Finally, when Paro told Moshe not to return unless he despaired for his life, Moshe replied, I will no longer see your face. Despite Moshe's justified anger, he still spoke respectfully to Paro. Indeed, he told Paro that at the next plague, it will be his slaves who will be coming to him, pleading for an end to the plague. In the end, of course, it was Paro, right, accompanied by his slaves, who came to Moshe and ordered him to take the Jews and leave. If Moshe knew that Paro would come to him, why did he not mention it? When he, when he told Paro, all your slaves will, will sort of will plead with me to, to, to stop it. It was Paro who was begging for it to stop. Apparently, it would not have been respectful to Paro, Paro's honor for Moshe Abeno to speak to the king of Egypt in such a demeaning manner. Rashi comments, says, Moshe Abeno honored the monarchy of Paro. Anyone who reads this has to be amazed. Paro redefined the term evil, wicked, 
right? He persecuted the Jews in the most terrible, terrible kind of kind of uh, uh, kind of way, in a way that demonstrated his his perverted and 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 a you know, sense of, of 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 value for for human life. Yet, Moshe was enjoined to preserve Paro's esteem because he was a king. At first glance, this comes across as quite enigmatic. It's not as if Paro was himself having a, a, a field day while his subjects were sort of absolutely not. No. When the Egyptians' bodies became infested with frogs, the only sound one heard from Paro and his nation was ribbit, or whatever it is that uh, Egyptian frogs uh, make, right? The lice and boils made their bodies look and feel like a disaster area. What dignity could Paro still have had that Moshe was trying to preserve? Rav Leib Chasman derives from here that HaKadosh Baruch Hu is exacting in his punishment. A person will not receive an iota more than he deserves. Hashem's goal in meeting out punishment is not revenge, but rather education. He wants the villain to learn what he did wrong and why he is being punished. To destroy whatever esteem Paro had would be, from an educational perspective, counterintuitive. If he would lose his mind due to depression, he could not develop a cognitive awareness of his deep-rooted evil and it's warranted punishment. This is 11.9. Chai FM, the program is Soul to Soul. We'll be back in a moment with much, much more. This is Hilchos Shabbos with Rabbi Musha Schnurb, only on 101.9 Chai FM. 101.9 Chai FM, this is Soul to Soul, back on your radio. Erev Shabbos, Kedish, Parshas, Boy, Tov, Shin, Pei, Dalin. We are learning this week's Parsha. We are delving into the Marcus, we spoke before about Moshe Rabbeinu maintaining a, a modicum of honor and respect for Paro, even in the desperate moments that Paro was groveling, Paro was in a state of absolute, absolute chaos. The country was in an absolute state of absolute collapse. And yet, Moshe Rabbeinu maintained the dignity. You know, in this week's Parsha, in fact, the last three <coughs> Marcus are described in great detail. The first of them, first of those three, was the Maka of, <clears throat> of Arbe, the Maka of locusts. But it's interesting that one has to sort of proceed all the way into the third Pasuk in, in the Pasha before we even hear about the first, two, uh, the, the first of these three Makas. The previous two Pasukim seem almost to be a, a kind of a general sort of introduction that has very little to do with this particular Makkah. Sukkim say, Ayom Hashem HaMoshe, Hashem said to Moshe, Boy al Paroi, come to Paro, ki ani yechbadeti esliboi, because I have hardened his heart, the slave avoda, and the hearts of his servants, the man she siyoi soisai elu b'kibba, so that I can place and can implant all these wonders in his midst. And the second passage says, in order that you should be able to tell over and to the ears of your children and your grandchildren 
How I toyed, how I played with the Mitzrayim. And all of my signs that I placed in them. In order that they should know that I am, I am Hashem. After this forward or introduction, then Moshe and Aaron come to Paro. Now Moshe and Aaron come to Paro. So says Hashem, the God of the Hebrews, How long are you going to refuse to humble yourself and make yourself poor in front of me? Send out my nation in order that they may serve me. If you're going to refuse further, to send out my nation, I'm going to bring this plague of, of locusts within your borders. Now it's Moish and Aaron are warning Para in the name of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, that tomorrow I'm going to bring this plague of locusts in your border, right? How, how did they, you know, how, how, how do they know that? Because in the, in the previous Pesukim, we don't even find that Hashem told Moshe and Aaron about the plague explicitly. The, the conversation between Hashem and Moshe was, was about, I've hardened his heart and tell it over to your children. There's no, usually we find Hashem tells Moshe, tell Paro about this Makkah. And then Moshe comes and tells Paro about, about the Makkah. Here, it's just Moshe Rabbeinu speaking to Paro. This doesn't seem to have been any conversation or any informing of Moshe and Aaron by Hakadosh Baruch Hu about this Makkah. The introduction to these to these uh, to this Makkah seems to be something completely completely different. Achazal in 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 the Medrash Shmuel Rabbah in Perek Gimel Dalid, they find a a a allusion to the Makkah of Arbe in those previous pesukim. It says Ulaman tesaper ba'ozne bincha. Said you'll tell over to the ears of your sons. Says there, Hakadosh Baruch Hu revealed to Moshe what makkah he's going to bring upon them, and Moshe Rabbeinu writes it in, in an allusion, in a in a hint. Ulaman you'll tell it over to the ears of your son. Zu makas arba. This is referring to the makkah of the of the uh, of the locust. As it says, much later in the Novi, in Yoel, it says, About it, you will tell your sons. So, just like over there, there's an allusion to telling your sons about the Makkah in the time of Yoel. So, here too, there's an allusion to, uh, in, in telling us, you'll tell it over to your sons, somehow seems to allude to the, to the, to the, to the Arbe. The, the, there's a slight, a, 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 a sort of a similar version, slight different words, is brought by the by the Balitosis. Right? Does the Balitosis ask, as you're going to ask, how did Moshe Rabbeinu know what Maki was about to bring? Where do we find that HaKadosh Baruch Hu informed him about it? It says, you can answer that Moshe understood from the fact that it said that you're going to tell it over into the ears of your children, so Moshe thought, what marker is there that I can sit and you know, put my grandchildren on my knee and tell them about 
this story for all generations. It can only be the marker of, of locusts because it says in, in Sefer Yoel also that you're going to tell over to your children about this marker of, 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 of locusts. Right? And you'll, be, you'll tell it all, all the way till till Dorech, you'll be able to tell it for many, many generations to, to all of your all of your uh, all of your children. And and obviously we need to understand. It says what is this special about the maka of of Arbe, the maka of, of locusts, that it's going to make an, inc- an incredible story uh, more than any of the other makas, where we actually draw an illusion from the words Romanta Saper that you that uh, this is referring to the maka of, of locusts. So the, the, the Radal and the Medrash brings down Ershes, it's possible, because it's, it's normal for young children to play with grasshoppers and all kinds of little things like that. As in fact, uh, it says, the, the Mishnah in, in the end of Perak, uh, the ninth Perak of, of, of Shabbos says that you have, that, uh, you have to uh, hide the, these uh, little creatures away for little kids to, to play with it. And therefore, since it's something that little children have an incredible affinity for and relationship with, therefore, they're gonna, it, they'll, they'll be very attentive to hear about the story more than any of the other, other, other uh, uh, amakas. The Kli Yoker, actually on Pasuk Aleph, he explains this based on the Ramban. Well, the Ramban quotes Rebbein Hanano that until that point, right, uh, no one had eaten locust in Egypt. And even if locusts would actually enter the, the borders of Egypt, they wouldn't eat it. Nevertheless, they wouldn't eat them. And that was well known. And therefore it says, Sichu b'chol niflosav. You have to speak about all of Hashem's niflosav. That, that they had never eaten these things. And now, we'll see, when, when the Makas Arbe was in a way different from all the other Makas. Why? Because by all the other Makas, right, the, today there's no, we don't, we don't have any, any inkling, any remembrance, any indication of the Makas that, that existed. And, you know, how would the, the son, how would the grandson even know to ask? You have to have some kind of artifact, something says for him to ask, what is this? The Makasarbe, the plague of the locusts, the son is going to ask, and the, and the Enoch is going to ask of all the generations on this amazing, amazing miracle that nothing, no locust had ever consumed anything in the entire land of Egypt. Why? And again, we'll have to tell them over the story or the whole sort of chain of events that, that took place and all the stories of, of Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim and will be fulfilled the mitzvah of we'll talk about all of Hashem's great miracles and specifically through the makov of the Arbe we'll be able to probably uh, 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 fulfill Ulaman Tisaper because of this great miracle that the Arbe never ever 
existed and never ate and never did any damage except for during that one week of Makasarbe, that will be something that we can definitely give over to our to our to our children. And this and, and he ends off by saying this is a, a very beautiful and, and precious way of answering and addressing this this question. We're going to come back with much, much more in a moment. It's 11.9. Chai FM, the program is Soul to Soul. Please stay with us. We're right in the middle. This is Hilchos Shabbos with Rabbi Moshe Schnurb, only on 101.9 Chai FM. 101.9 Chai FM, this is Soul to Soul. Back on your radio. Erev Shabbos, Kodesh, Pashas, Boy, Tov, Shin, Pay Dalet. We are in the middle of discussing the Maka of Arbe, the Maka of Locus. And we just explained in Lehman Ramban and others that what was miraculous, what was something that was going to be a, a, a unique about this Maka that we could tell over to our children was the fact that there was only seven days in the entire history of the world that locusts actually consumed produce in the land of Egypt. From the time of that Makkah, it has never happened, says Ramban, until his day, maybe even until today, that locusts have come into the land of Egypt and consumed anything. And by telling over the story, and of course all the other Makkahs that are related to it, we fulfill the special mitzvah of talk about, tell everyone, publicize all of our Kaddish Baruch Hu's miracles that he does in, 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 in the world. Now, so in, in the Sefer uh, Moitzah Shalorov on, on the Haggadah of, of Pesach, there on page 232, he, he asks a question. It says by the Makkah of Arbe, it says, Vayal Arbe al kol Eretz Mitzrayim. The locusts came up over all the land of Mitzrayim. Vayonach b'chol gavul Mitzrayim. And it rested over all the borders of Egypt. And he asks, it seems to be a repetition. Obviously, if, it's, if, it's, if, it's a, if, the, if the locusts came and filled the whole land of Messiah, yes, they, they went to all the borders. What's, what's new about the second phrase? So he brings there an answer in, in the name of Hagoin of Avrom Lichtenstein, Puznitz, the author of the Sefer, Kanfei He says, that all the other makas did not affect, we discussed this uh, uh, last week, all the other makas did not affect Eretz Goshen because there were B'nai So, B'nai so were there and they didn't need to be affected by the makas. Only makas Arbe also came to the land of Goshen. And that was because B'nai so were already very, very close. They were on the way. This is already Maka number eight. They were very, very close to their actual emancipation, to their actual exodus from, from Mitzrayim. And in order that all the plants and all the crops that the Yidden had planted there should not be left over and become food for the Egyptians, so HaKadosh Baruch Hu sent the Arbe, also to Goshen, and it ate up all the grain and all the fruits in order that there should be nothing left for the Egyptians. For the, for the Egyptians, sorry. And that's what the Posseg means. 
Bayal Arbe al Kol Eretz Mitzrayim. The Arbe came on all the Egyptian section of the land. And besides that, it went to every single corner of the borders of Egypt, including the land of, of Goshen. That's what he brings. Now, the Be'emah Chaim in Pasha's boy, he, he actually says, we can learn from the, from the Apostle, the Apostle says, Lo'inishar arbe echad b'chol gavul mutzayim. Says not one locust was left in all of the borders of Egypt, and it doesn't say b'mitzrayim. Doesn't say there wasn't a one locust left in Egypt. It says specifically all the borders of Egypt, and that's to tell us that only in Mitzrayim was there performed this huge miracle that the Medrash brings down in Shmuel's Rabbi Yud Gimel that even those locusts. That were already in the, uh, you know, had already been uh, salted and and preserved, and already were in the in the in the jars and the and the vats, waiting to be a delicacy at someone's ta- table. They already salted them. All of those flew away and 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 left. However, the pasuk is telling us that this miracle only took place within the borders of Egypt. Right up to the very end of the borders of Egypt, right? All those uh, locusts flew away, even those, those salted ones, in order that there shouldn't be any gain. Shouldn't have a situation what we call a chayte niska, that someone who was being punished, someone who was receiving a tremendous blow and punishment should gain by being able to eat this locust. That they should be able to have hanah from that which HaKadosh Baruch was punishing with them. But the rest of the nations who lived in adjoining and adjacent countries to Egypt, right? And they trapped or they sort of uh, uh, got hold of the, the, the locusts and they salted them or they cooked them. So by them, the Arba remained because they weren't being punished by it. The Egyptians who were being punished by the Arban, so they did not have the right to have any benefit or any enjoyment from it. But every other nation, right, all those next to Mitzrayim, all could have, any, 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 uh, any locust that they found and preserved and cooked, they were able to enjoy it. And it says, furthermore, there's a tremendous purpose in this. Why? That there should be a, a, an always an everlasting monument to their grandchildren that they ate from the locusts that Hashem used to punish the Egyptians. And, and, and therefore, the, 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 the Pesach was very specific to say only within the borders of Egypt was nothing, was nothing left, not even one Arabe, right? Uh, uh, and but any anything else that was outside, that was in, in in the in the vats or the jars or, or even ones that were caught by the by the neighbors, so that all remained and that they were able to to enjoy and and again and boast and boast about. So what we see from from the Beis that only the locusts that were uh, uh, in Egypt itself. Uh, those, if they were already 
dead and already salted, they got up and, and flew away. But in all other countries, those locusts remain, remain behind. And perhaps you can say that the locusts that we sent even reached the land of, of Goshen, right? And, and ate up all the crops that the Jews had planted so that the Egyptians shouldn't be able to benefit from them. But therefore, there was Am Yisrael also. Didn't have any, any what was what were they got? I mean, it, it was at least sort of a month and a half or something before the Jews were going to leave. So what were the Jews going to eat for that time once the, the locusts came and destroyed all the, uh, all the grain? So therefore... The Jews themselves trapped the locusts and salted it and preserved them in their barrels, right? But in, in the contradistinction to the Egyptians, right? There, the, whatever, whatever it was that the Jews salted and preserved, that didn't fly away. And that remained, and that became their staple diet until the until the uh, time of the of the of the Yitzhia. Based on this, we can now perhaps have shed some new light on, on what we started with on the Pasuk, the man to Sapper, so that you can tell over to your children. And we can say that by this mark of Arbe, because the mark of Arbe was even after it was finished, it still remained. Right? All the locusts that the Jews had preserved during the time of the Makkah, that all remained. There was a, a, a lasting memorial to, 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 the, uh, to the plague. Right? The whole time, all the way until Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim, they continued to eat the locusts. And therefore, that's what they could tell. And that's what they could praise HaKadosh Baruch Hu for the miracle that he had done, that he had done for them. When Moshe Rabbeinu davened to Hashem regarding the locusts, it says there, as you said, Lo'inisha arbe echa b'kol gomitzayim. And Orachayim HaKadosh explains, he says, it, it was necessary to show the Egyptians with the plague of the, of the locusts that, that HaKadosh Baruch Hu had used his trusty winds to bring the, the uh, plague and then afterwards to take it to take it away and take even the dead uh, uh, locusts away that the, that the Mitzrayim should not be able to have any benefit from it. I mean, let's just get to context. I mean, previously in the plague of the pestilence, the dever, the wild animals, and the borods, all the animals, all the sheep, right? They, they, all, they were all killed. And Machayim had nothing to eat. So now, when the Arbe came, these were not the sort of little flying things that we're used to seeing as, as, uh, as grasshoppers. These were great, big, huge things, like the size of, 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 of birds. Right? So what did these uh, Rashaim do? What did these Machayim do? So, oh, they said, oh, the, the Arbe is destroying all of our, our wheat. Fine, let's go eat the the Arba themselves, let's go eat the grasshoppers. And they were catching them, as you said, they were salting them, they were preserving them, and they put them away in their in their in their barrels to, to keep to be able to have for their for their sudas, uh, for as long as they needed they needed to. When the maka was over, 
So all of the Arbe abandoned and left the land, and nothing was left. Right? And, and what about all the barrels that the, that the Egyptians had, had filled up? So it says, says, when the Arbe came, so the Egyptians were very, very happy. They said, let's gather and let's stay, let's fill our barrels. Says HaKadosh Baruch Yerushayim. The market that I'm trying to bring on you, you're, you're, you're rejoicing over it? Straight away, Hashem turned by Yafoich, Hashem Ruach Yom. Hashem brought a west wind that was very, very strong. Right? Well, how strong was this? That even what they had in all their barrels, it came in, the, the, the wind penetrated into their houses, broke all the barrels, all the pots, and all the salted uh, arbe all had they all were resurrected and they all flew away together with all their all their their bread. In other words, so the the uh, actually the locust actually taught the Jewish nation about the concept of the resurrection of the dead of And specifically by the Arbe, we learned this incredible, incredible emuna about since all the dead uh, a locust. Right, who were, who were uh, you know, they were, since they were all Shem uh, Shabbos, uh, because they didn't eat anything on Shabbos, so therefore they deserved to have Tchiyas HaMesim. But someone who's a Russia, we know, will never get Tchiyas HaMesim. And perhaps you can say that if the Arbe was teaching the Jewish nation about Tchiyas HaMesim, because since the mark of Arba immediately preceded the mark of Choshech, of darkness. And by the plague of darkness, so we knew that a, a great percentage of the Jews themselves died during the plague of, of, of darkness. In fact, the Torah says, in the beginning of the next week's passion, that Hamushim, only 20% of the Jews left uh, mit, mit, Mitzrayim, right? Hamushim, Rashi brings several explanations, but one, one uh, explanation is that only one-fifth of the Jewish nation actually went out of, of, of Mitzrayim, right? Some say even, even more. It was 80% of the Jewish nation died in Mitzrayim during those days of, 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 of darkness. And, you know, if we talk about 600,000 that left Mitzrayim, and we're saying that 80% died. So we're talking about 2.4 million Jews died during the Makkah of, of Chayshech. And that is probably the greatest tragedy that we've ever heard of in, 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 the, entire, in the entire world. Right? Throughout the entire Makkah of Chayshech, it was, it was six days. And in those few days, so many millions of Jews died. In, in the Medrash, there are actually two other opinions. One opinion says that Hamushim means one fiftieth, and according to that opinion, if uh, there were there were uh, uh, you know six hundred thousand that that left, so therefore six hundred thousand times forty nine, or if my, my math is correct, twenty nine million four hundred thousand Jews. Died. There's another Tana that says that Hamushim means one out of 500 Jews left. 
according to this opinion, so you have to do your maths of 600,000 times 499, which is 299,400,000. And there's even another opinion that uh, could have even larger, larger numbers. Uh, even just to think about these, these huge numbers, we're talking about uh, 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 something that would take uh, uh, tens or, 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 or hundreds of millions of, of people who died in these, in these, few, in these few days. It, it's mind-blowing. And therefore, the mark of Abra comes immediately before the mark of Cheshach to teach us about the concept of Tchiyas HaMesim. So that Am Yisrael should not be so upset by the Makas of Cheshach when they see such a huge amount of, of Jews dying because there is in the world already such a concept of Tchiyas HaMesim that hopefully these people will will be able to, to come back. The Gemara in Sanhedrin on Dr. Tzadi Aleph says, Tanya, we learned in a Bryson. Amr Ameir, how do we know? Where's the source for Tchiyas HaMesim in the Torah? So it says, Az Yashir Moshev Nesel. Next is Pasha. Then Moshe will sing Es Hashirazah. It doesn't say that Moshe sang. It says he will sing. So from here we see Tchiyas HaMesim is an allusion to Tchiyas HaMesim from the, the Torah. To understand what it says, so the, the Pshat would, would be that Lassid Lava in the future when it will be HaKadosh Baruch Hu's, uh, a desire that all the dead people should get up and, and uh, be resurrected. So Moshe Benu then will come back and, and sing a, a shira and sing a, a song of praise to, to HaKadosh Baruch Hu with, with Klaiso. However, Aaron Belzer has a slightly different take on this. And he says, from here we're going to learn a tremendous, tremendous concept in, in Amuna. The story took place that when, when Aaron Belzer went to, to Eretz, Eretz Yisrael, so uh, 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 it was a very, very, very uh, uh, difficult period, of course, that he had, he had uh, gone through in, in his uh, escape from, from, uh, from Europe, which was Mamish, uh, an inferno, at that time. And when he came to Territ Show, it the date was the ninth of Shvat Tufshin Dalin. So this is uh, uh Pei uh, we're now in Tufpin Tufshin Pei Dalit. So this is exactly eighty uh, years ago to the date. It was actually the ninth of Shvat, which is today's date that he arrived in Eretz Show. On the first Shabbos in Eretz Show, it was Shabbos, Pashas B'Shalach. So the Rebbe had a, uh, a, a tish with great simcha and, and uh, great happiness. And the, the, it, was, it was amazing for people to see how it's possible that you couldn't see. If you looked at the Rebbe, you wouldn't uh, notice any signs of despondency, any signs of, of sadness, after all that he went through and what all the Roshan Yamach Shamam did, did uh, to him, and when they enabled to him and to his entire family who, who gave their lives amongst the six million, million Jews. 
And the Rebbe began, he said, Chazal say on the Pesach, the Kaiser went up only that most of the Jews died in Makas Cheshach. And the question is, how could B'nai Israel sing a Shira on the Yam after so many of their brothers and, and sisters were taken from them, grabbed away from them during the time of Cheshach? And the answer is, because they all believed in Tchias HaMesim. Right? So we see that Tchias HaMesim is Menatera from the very, very fact that Kleisol were able after the terrible events of the, of the Makas Chesha to be able to sing a Shira. That's the greatest proof that there is such a concept as, as Tchias HaMesim. If someone believes in Tchias HaMesim so he knows that even when Nebuch, one's friends, one's, one's relatives are, are, are no longer here, they've been taken captive, they've, they've, they've fallen, right? You have to realize the story is not, not over. It's just starting a, a, new, a, a new chapter. And Be'ez Hashem, there will be another chapter. And therefore he believes that HaKadosh Baruch Hu does everything for, the good, for good reasons and for right reasons, both for him, both to his family and to his friends that, that are no longer here because HaKadosh Baruch Hu is toivometiv. Shem is good and does, and does good. And whatever he promises is going to be is going to be a, a, a good. And therefore we can celebrate the Shabbos. We can celebrate Yontem. We can have a tish and dance and sing because we have full emuna that there's much more to come of this story. And all those who nebuch have suffered and are suffering and will suffer will come back and rejoin us and we'll be able to dance together with Shavu Tzion Burita. We'll all come back to Yushalayim in great joy and great happiness. 11.9, Chai FM, the program is Soul to Soul. We'll be back in a moment with our Hilchos Shabbos slot. This is Hilchos Shabbos with Rabbi Moshe Schnurb, only on 101.9 Chai FM. If you're joining us just now, thank you and a warm welcome to our show, the last few bits of our of our show together. It's so nice to have you all on board, as we always do at this time, just to give you the important details that you need to know for this coming Shabbos. So, this afternoon, the earliest time, to light your Shabbos candles is at 5.40, 20 to 6 is the earliest time to light Shabbos candles. And again, let's make an effort. We're all trying to do a little bit extra because of this serious situation that we found ourselves in globally and locally, whatever it's, it, it is. And uh, wherever we can get an extra merit, an extra brownie point, it's certainly worthwhile. So let's try. Let's try to get the uh, the atmosphere of Shabbos into our homes as quickly as possible. So 5.40, we can put on those candles, have the house all ready, all the food warm, everyone dressed. It'd be great if we can, if we can do that. If we can't manage that, then the latest time for benching Licht this Shabbos is at 6.46, 14 minutes before 7, 7 o'clock. That is the absolute latest time for benching Licht. Please don't do any malacha. After that, those 18 minutes, as we always say, between the 
deadline for candlelighting and sunset are only for absolute emergencies. Regard 646 as the time where everything has to be done and prepared for Shabbos. Obviously, there are many communities that use the standard summertime in Johannesburg of quarter past six, which means that if your community, your shul, will be accepting Shabbos, i.e. saying Mizmo Shul Yom Shabbos before 6.46, then you would need to make sure that your candles are, are lit before that time because if you belong to a shul, you are bound by the time that they accept accept uh, 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 Shabbos. So that's that's as far as that's concerned. Shkia then is at 7.04. 7.04 is, is sunset. Therefore, if you want to be able to uh, uh, Davin Mayrev or, or say Shema before you sit down to your meal so you have to wait till 7.22 7.22 will be then nightfall, you can say Shema and then sit down with your family to an amazing Shabbos meal, good food, good company good Zmiris, some good Divratera, make it a really really beautiful uh, evening tomorrow of course is is uh, Shabbos Kodesh Pashas Boy with the last three plagues and the laws of Pesach, etc., etc., and the standard of Torah that goes with Pashas uh, Aboy. And it's a, uh, yeah, it's a long, long Shabbos. It's not as long as last week, because Shabbos Kodesh ends tomorrow night at 7.38, already one minute earlier than, than uh, last week. And just hold your breath, because it's going to get early, uh, very, very quickly, from, from now on, and as I will say, winter is coming. You may not necessarily feel it in the weather, but it definitely is on its is on its way. Please remember that this week, please God, on Thursday will be the holiday of Tubishvat, and uh, many have the custom to eat fruits, and some people even have like a special seder on Tubishvat night. And please follow your custom of your shoes doing something. Please go and. Get involved with that. We are learning the laws of Lisha, of, of, of kneading. And we said that uh, to make a soft mixture is fundamentally not forbidden. But Chazawa worried that maybe a person might make a mistake and think, oh, if I can make a dough, then, then I can make a thick dough also. And if he did that, then Chas Hashom, he'd be violating the Torah prohibition of, of, of kneading. So therefore, Chazal made this fence around it, and, and they forbade making even a, a kind of a soft dough. But if one does things with a bit of a deviation in an unusual kind of way, Chazal allowed to make us to make a soft dough with an unusual change. Because when we do something in a slightly unusual way, that kind of r- reminds us, hey, this is unusual, and, and therefore we'll, we'll uh, have the presence of mind to not come to make a thick, a thick mixture. What kind of deviation are we, are we talking about? So generally, it's in the order that we put in the ingredients to the mixture. In other words, if normally we first place the the solid elements, the dry elements, and then and then we usually pour over on 
over that the liquids. So therefore, you first put the liquid in and then add over them, pour over them the, the solid material. And I'll around, if it's normally that you first put the liquid in and then add the, the solids. So now we do it all the way around. We first put the solid and then add the, the, the liquid in such a way, right? You'll, you'll, uh, 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 you'll pour in all the liquids at, at one time that you shouldn't, you know, because if you pour it slowly, then at least initially quite a solid mass is created. Therefore, pour in all the liquid at once so that it becomes soft right, right away. So that's as far as uh, uh, applying uh, the, the ingredients. In terms of the, the stirring, so there are some that say that once we've done un unusual things in terms of uh, supplying the ingredients, there's no need to make further changes in terms of the way we, we stir it, right? But uh, one shouldn't sort of uh, uh, stir it with great vigor and great strength as we do on, on weekday. There are others who are makmi, who are stricter, and, and say not that we should make a, a deviation and, and, and change the way we stir also. For example, that in place of uh, mixing the, the dough by sort of stirring the, the spoon around and, and around, rather uh, do it in, 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 a, in a sort of vertical and horizontal uh, emotion, right? And that, that will be considered a, 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 a change from one side to another side or up and down and then and sideways or that use your, your finger or you could mix the dough with a, uh, by, by just sort of shaking the, the, the dish, right? Or that you should pour the dough from one vessel to another and, that, and that's how it will get uh, then uh, mixed up. So, one should try to take into account the stricter opinion and sort of, sort of try to sort of honor all of the uh, all the poiskim and and actually to make a deviation not only in the way we apply the ingredients but also in the actual uh, 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 stirring. Now, with this sort of no fixed way in which the ingredients are usually applied, sometimes like this, sometimes like that. So then you should first put the dry ingredients and then pour on that the, the liquids. And in addition, you should be very, very careful to then also make a deviation in the way you stir the, the mixture. Now, you're allowed, if you have an already existing uh, thick dough, so you're allowed to pour in uh, liquids in order to transfer that uh, thick dough into be a, a a more liquid a more liquid dough. Why? Because the addition of the water or the liquid into it causes that is actually the opposite of, of lisha. Lisha, you're creating this solid mixture here. You're you're you're, you're destroying. A solid mixture and making it a, a liquid, a liquid mixture, right? Because normally, the act of of leash of kneading takes different components and puts them all together. And here, by adding water, adding liquid, you're weakening the connection between the different the different uh, items. We're gonna break here and come back after the break with a few 
final comments, a few final halachas, please stay with us. In the meantime, just to remind you, this is Soul to Soul on Chai FM 101.9 on your radio, and this is the greatest Jewish radio station in all of Africa. This is Hilchos Shabbos with Rabbi Musha Schnurb, only on 101.9 Chai FM. 101.9 and this is Soul to Soul, back on your radio. Hello, Shabbos, Kodesh, Parashas, Boy, Tough, Shin, Pei, Dalit. As we round off this week's show, we're talking about the laws of lush, the laws of kneading, and we're saying that based on the principles we've established, let's say you have a kind of a, a, a gloomf of, let's say, trina or something like that, and you want to soften it, so you'd be allowed to pour water uh, on that because since the water is going to make it softer, so therefore you're you're doing the opposite of needing, you're sort of creating a separation between the, the items. However, in the Shemir Shabbos Kachosa, there are some who say that it's forbidden because during the process of mixing the liquid in, there will be a stage at which the the dough becomes actually harder before it becomes softer as, as the first bits of water are, are, are poured in. However, practically speaking, most of the poiskim uh, follow the more lenient opinion, right? Because since at the end of the day, it's going to become a, a soft dough, so the fact that there's a temporary stage is not is not that that serious. And of course, in addition to that, the truth is since uh, the dough has already been ground and already uh, kind of kneaded from Erev Shabbos, many of the poiskim are of the opinion that there cannot be a secondary or, or, or a new uh, repetition of, of the of the leash. In fact, that's what the Shulchan Aruch says in, in Shin Chafalif. And of course, since we have a, a doubt in halacha, in order to extricate oneself from any kind of suffix, so the best thing would be when you do the stirring, even of this antidote, should do it in, in an unusual way and, and uh, rather than doing it normally clockwise, do it uh, horizontally and then, and, then, uh, and then vertically. Okay, I think that's all the time we really have this, this uh, era of Shabbos. I just want to take the opportunity to thank each and every one of you for joining us uh, this week, or many of you join us regularly. I hope, I hope this show is inspiring. I hope you're learning something, both in terms of the, the Ashkafa and in terms of, of, the, of the Halacha, and that you'll continue to, to tune in every week. Please, please, if you have any feedback, good, bad, or neutral, please pass it on either through the station or contact me directly. We'd love to hear from you. We'd love to know if there's anything we could do to improve the quality of the show, to perhaps have a new idea or something like that that you want to suggest. Please feel free to do so. In the meantime, just to wish each and every one of our radio family a beautiful, inspiring, and geschmackte good Shabbos.